I trust you were given, in a, given a sheet when you came in to take notes on the message today. Does anybody need a sheet? All right, thank you. Uh, I'm going to review just a little bit from last week and just go through that outline quickly. And you can jot these words down that will help you remember what we've talked about on the subject of forgiveness, F-A-I-T-H, faith, and the first letter standing for forgiveness. We talked about the fact that God's forgiveness toward us is, first of all, undeserved. We do not merit it. We haven't earned it. We are not such that we can demand it. It is unmerited and undeserved on our part. It is unlimited. God's forgiveness is not limited by the severity or hideousness of the sins that have been committed. It is not limited by the number of times someone has sinned. His forgiveness is totally unlimited. That's the reason you remember we talked about Jesus told the disciple when he said, I've forgiven my brother seven times. Don't I stand okay? I don't have to forgive him anymore. And Jesus said, you forgive him 70 times seven, then come talk to me about that. In other words, you take uh, earthly completion and multiply it by heavenly completion and multiply it by heavenly completion again, and you get to all of that, then you come talk to me. In other words, no, you're not justified in not forgiving your brother. It is unlimited as we know God's forgiveness. It also undertakes the penalty for that which is being forgiven. God has given that sentence and penalty upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, becoming our sin, as we talked about last week. He became our sins that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And it is only in Christ that someone can become what God intended us to be, that we can experience the love of God and, the, and the, the growth in Christ Jesus as we are in him. He also undertakes the penalty for that sin. God never forgives sin that it's not paid for. Sin must be paid for. God pronounced that penalty in the Garden of Eden when he told Adam, the day that you sin, you will surely die. That has not passed away. It is still the sentence upon fallen man, and sin must be paid for, and God has satisfied that penalty through the suffering and death of Christ on the cross who died for our sins so that we can know forgiveness and we can have that forgiveness and have eternal life. The next thing we talked about is that goes unmentioned. Any sin that we confess to him and it is forgiven, it goes unmentioned from that point throughout eternity. Jeremiah wrote that God said, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. In other words, I won't ever bring it up again. He promises not to remember our sins against us ever not in this life or not in the life to come. The Bible never says God forgets. God has not a problem with remembering that he forgets things. 
Forgetting and remembering are two distinctly different actions. Remember, God is omniscient. God knows everything. He knows everything eternity past. He knows everything presently. And he knows everything for eternity future. There is nothing he does not know. Matter of fact, when man discovers something new, God would say, well, how about that? <laughs> Been knowing that all along. When we find a cure for disease, God knew that already. Nothing catches him by surprise. There is nothing he doesn't know. He is all knowledgeable. And so when he says, I'll remember him no more, it has nothing to do with our passive forgetfulness. You see, our forgetting is a passive act. It results in a mistake, or a mistake causes us to forget, or whatever, or results in forgetting. But his is not a passive, it is an active not remembering. In other words, it is a choice on his part that he does not remember it against us. He never brings it up against us ever again. Not remembering is presented throughout Scripture as active. It is a promise where God promises not to remember our sins. To not remember, God is simply saying, I will not bring up these matters to you in the future. I will not exhume the bones to beat you over the head with them. I will never use these sins against you ever again. <clears throat> That's the reason it is so important as a child of God that we have a prayer life and that we confess our sins and, and know that John writes to us that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the cleansing is repeated is over and over again is it is a daily thing that he cleanses us of the day's sins, uh, of the misgivings, of the mishaps, of, of the sins that are committed on purpose and those that are committed accidentally. We have a prayer line with the Father and confess sin is wiped away and we bear it no more. I'm so thankful for the forgiveness that was given to me on the day that I was saved of every trespass, of every sin I could have ever committed. But I'm thankful today he forgives me based on what Jesus has done on the cross in paying the debt for my sin. He forgives me for yesterday's sins. And when I pray to him later today for today's sins, for tonight's sins, he forgives us and he does not hold them to our charge I will never use these sins against you is basically what he says. And then you remember Psalm says in 103, chapter 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And you've heard that illustration. You can head out east and head east over the rest of your life and you'll never be headed west. You can go west and head west for the rest of your life. You'll never be headed east. He says, I've removed your sins far from you as the east is from the west. Aren't you thankful he didn't say as the north is from the south? Because when you get to the north pole headed north, you'll be headed south. And when you get to the south pole, you'll be headed north. But east and west doesn't do that. 
You never meet east headed west. You never meet west headed east. And God promises that he takes our sins away from us. But in this room, we're mostly, if not all, Christians. We've all experienced the wonderful forgiveness of the Savior. And faith is something we can share, that first letter of forgiveness, because we know we have been forgiven. We know we are forgiven. We know the wonderful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in paying our sin debt and God the Father forgiving us for our sins I'm telling you, well, there is not anything that can bring more joy to my heart than to be reminded of what Christ has done for me and to be reminded of the forgiveness that has been given me freely without charge and without any responsibility outside of living where he wants me to live, that he charges me to do. He gives me no responsibility for those past sins, but takes them away from me my life, and my future. That's good news, isn't it? But I think as Christians, we need a better, a deeper understanding of what God's forgiveness is all about. Did you know unforgiveness is a very serious matter to God? When we don't forgive someone else, it is a very serious matter that grieves his heart and interferes with our joy and our pleasure in serving him, and his pleasure with us in the way that we're living. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to spend just a little time there this morning as we look at these truths that are presented there. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25, Ephesians 4 and verse 25 we read these words. Therefore, putting away lying, let every one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for, uh, necess for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I think it is imperative if that if we're going to talk to the unsaved, about forgiveness, we need to have a very serious understanding of what the Father, through Scripture, has told us concerning our own response to others' failures in our lives, especially those actions that have affected us 
that have offended us, that have caused us to stumble. There is a serious warning to the Christian in this passage concerning where we stand in our walk and fellowship with the Lord if we fail to heed these teachings. He says that to do less than doing away with bitterness, wrath, anger, and speaking harshly against someone else, to do less will, in essence, cause us to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, you've seen someone in grief, have you not? Maybe you have walked through a time of grief, and, and someone would say, what, what, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with him? He's just grieving. She's grieving the loss of this dear loved one. They're grieving the loss of their child. Oh, he's grieving the loss of his father. And we know what it is to grieve. He says that when we fail to do these things, when we fail to walk in such a way where we're kind to others, if we fail to walk in such a way where we harbor that bitterness and, and that hurt and lash out against others, if we fail to forgive them, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Basically, it is to shut out his influence in rebellion. It is to shut out his influence in our lives because the influence of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life will always be to forgive one another, will always be to forgive that person for what they've done, to be like Jesus and say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. They don't know how much this hurt. They don't know how much this has offended me. They don't really understand what they've done. They've done it haphazardly. They've done it with a bitter heart. They've, they've done it with malice in the heart. Whatever has caused them to do it, Father, I forgive them for they don't really understand the hurt and the grief of my, my heart and my life. It is to forgive. He even goes on to say, in, in doing less is the response of a hardened heart and walking in unforgiveness toward another. To fail to forgive, to fail to exercise this kind of forgiveness toward others is to walk with a hardened heart and with unforgiveness toward another person. Let me tell you what unforgiveness will do. It'll cause you to do strange things. Yeah, I want you to just think about it. It'll cause you to avoid someone that you have not forgiven, even to the point of being silly, even to the point of being stupid about it. I mean, you may be at it East Chase, and you're walking down the sidewalk because you're trying to get to this store up that sidewalk, and you see coming straight at you that person that you have not forgiven, that person that you have that kind of unforgiveness and malice in your heart, and it'll cause you to turn in, into a, a diaper store, and you don't even have a baby. It'll cause you to go into, it'll, it'll cause a, a man to turn into Victoria's Secret and stand there and say, oh my gosh, where am I? You know? 
That sounds silly, but I'm telling you, that's exactly what unforgiveness will do. It will cause you to live a life in fear of running into that person. To live a life not, or, or hoping not to see that person, for it not to be brought up. And I'll tell you what it'll do. You can be a hundred miles away from that individual, and someone who knows them bring up their name, and there'll be a cringing inside of you in your heart, and there'll be such anger and bitterness that will come bubbling up out of your heart that you have to swallow it back down and not speak a word that you should not speak. I'm telling you, unforgiveness is a poison. Unforgiveness will rob you of your joy. Unforgiveness will cause you to act in a way that is foolish. Unforgiveness is not what God requires of us. He requires us to forgive one another. Look at verse 32. He says, and be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. When you find someone who professes to be a Christian, that you find them to be hard-hearted and not tender-hearted, I'm going to tell you what's residing in them. It is unforgiveness. When you find someone who professes to be a child of God and they are hard about somebody else, they lash out about that person. If that person's name comes up, they just cringe and, and they, they act just bitter all the time. It's because of unforgiveness in their heart. And I don't want to live that kind of life to you. I don't want to be the kind of person that people want to avoid. I don't want to be the kind of person that nobody wants to be around because of the bitterness and the anger and the envy and all of that that will muster up inside of a person and grow and grow and grow until it dominates their lives. And it's all because of a rebellious spirit failing to do what God has told us to do in every occasion, forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. You'll say, that's hard, preacher. You're telling that to God? Who gave his only son on the cross? His righteous, perfect son of God? The son of God, eternity past, who was there and spoke everything into existence and creation and left the throne and came as a man and walked the face of the earth and became our sins on the cross, you're telling him it's hard? Forgiveness is hard. But it's required. God will accept nothing less. You see, when you came to Jesus, when you were saved, God did not require you to do anything to receive his forgiveness. Nothing else but to believe that he offered it through his son, Jesus Christ, and through what he had done for you on the cross. That's all he asked of you, that you believe on him, trust in him, and by faith come to him and, and accept and receive that that Jesus had performed for you and given to you freely through his death on the cross. What right do we have to demand any difference in our directive 
to forgive others? None. Absolutely none. As we are about to share faith with those who need Jesus, an unforgiving heart is more detectable by someone else than a neon sign flashing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Someone who walks with unforgiveness in their heart, they cannot even come across in the love of Christ. They cannot even pretend to really love that sinner who doesn't look like them, who doesn't have the same color of skin that they have, who doesn't talk like they talk, who doesn't live like they live. They can't even begin to come forth with a genuine love. Why? Because they harbor unforgiveness in their heart and it causes deceit, blindness. It causes resentment. You see, if we want the Holy Spirit to be free to work in our presence when we share the gospel message of forgiveness and the message that heaven can be gained, that message must come from a heart that is full of gratitude and is indeed the, comes from a heart of gratitude and is indeed the recipients of such love and forgiveness themselves. Are you saved? Say amen. Are you forgiven? Say amen. What ought to come from our heart should be evidenced with what comes from our mouth and the actions of our lives that we love, that we care, and we're willing to lay down our life for someone else to be saved. If we have not forgiven others, what will come out instead are the aforementioned of bitterness and malice and pain. If we are grateful for our forgiveness and salvation, then the message will be abundantly clear. And we'll be received by others as both genuine and our message heartfelt. There is no magic to the faith outline. It's not some formula that you can just repeat it, just tell it, and it's just going to work miracles just by you telling those few words and explaining a little bit of what Scripture says. That's not what wins people to Christ. Those things are instruments. They are tools for winning someone to Christ. But let me tell you, only a heart that's filled with love Forgiveness and peace can communicate that message effectively for someone who's never met Jesus. Before we're ready to share faith, we must first examine our hearts to see if there's any malice, any bitterness, 
any hatred or even unforgiveness in our own hearts? If so, confess it to Jesus. If so, just tell him about it. Ask for his forgiveness. And then love that unforgiven person genuinely and obviously without reservation, without reluctance. Let me tell you what will happen. First of all, Jesus will be honored. He'll be glorified in your life. You'll be blessed and so, so free to work in your life and through your testimony of sharing faith. Listen to what he said. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ. I told the prayer meeting group on Wednesday night I was going to go to this verse. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You see, forgiveness isn't easy. Forgiveness is not cheap. Every soul who is forgiven by God is forgiven on the basis of what his son has done. He honors his son that way. Every time someone is saved, Jesus has been honored by the Father through paying the price for the redemption of mankind. When you were saved, Jesus was honored by the Father as he turned to the Father and said, Father, he has trusted in what I've done. Forgive him for his sins. And the Father grants that forgiveness based on the Son's payment for that sin or those sins or that life. He says, be willing to forgive others just as the Father for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You see, when you forgive someone else, you've not done them a favor. You've done Jesus a favor. When you forgive someone else, just like the Father honors the Son, you honor the Son. And I'm not talking about the S-U-N either. I'm talking about the capital S-O-N, the Son of God. We honor Him that He has paid the price for everybody's sin, every sin in the world. When we forgive others, we act more like God than any other time in our Christian walk. We honor the Savior and His death. I know in a message like this, I don't believe it would be the right thing to ask for a public airing out of those harbored feelings. 
I don't think that is wise. I don't think it's the loving thing to do. I was in a service one time when the preacher of the hour thought that was the thing to do. And the man decided to air out all of the things he was forgiving folks for. It was hurtful. It was divisive. It was ill-advised. It was dumb to do. That's not the thing to do. There might be a need for a private conversation with the individual against whom you have harbored these feelings. I, I can't tell you to do that. Sometimes it's not the wise thing to do. However, an humble, heartfelt, and truthful response to the Word of God is always the right thing. even if it doesn't make sense appear. I'll assure you on the authority of God's word, it will make all the sense in the world right here. There will be a relief. There will be a joy. There will be such passion to come from your life. And you'll be surprised how much others will even say, there's something different about you. You say, well, I've been saved a long time. Not what I'm talking about. There's something different about you. There's a peace. I've not seen you have before. There is a joy. There is a comfortability. I can't even say it. Comfortability. I still didn't get it right. You'll be comfortable like you haven't been in a long time. Would you trust God's word? Would you trust God's word? As we're getting ready to share faith, the message of hope and love and peace and joy and forgiveness to those who will be coming on the 11th, 8th, I don't know why I keep going the 11th, on the 8th of August, as we give out these 400 backpacks and school supplies, to everyone who comes until the supply runs out, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a, a festival. We're going to have hot dogs and chips and drinks and, and all that. We're going to have games. We're going to have blow-ups. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have a time of just sitting down or standing still. And I'm going to present the simple gospel to everyone in attendance. That's where you come in. To be standing there ready to speak to the person that you have chosen to stand beside that you may not even know and preferably not another church member, but someone who is a guest and to say to them, did that make sense to you? 
Does that make sense to you? Can I talk with you about that further? Can I pray with you? Can I lead you to pray that prayer? Come to faith in Jesus? We're preparing for that. But before we ever get any further in the faith outline, we need to come to grips with forgiveness. That's the hard part of the whole thing. Forgiveness. Whatever you need to do, whatever you need to tell the Father, right now, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray you'll have your way. I'm so thankful for the forgiveness that I've received in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful for the heart that you've given me. It's not of my own. It's your doings. Lord, I thank you for the love that you give us for others. I thank you for the faith that you place within our hearts to knowing that you will use us and if we'll be obedient, we'll see fruit for our labors. Thank you for the outline you've given us to share with others. But before we get there, Father, may we do self-examinations. May we look deep into who we are, our past, the experiences we've had in, with others, and maybe the hurt and perhaps unforgiveness we've held in our hearts for a long time. Lord, have your way. May your Holy Spirit deal with your people, your church, as only you can. And may we be the most prepared, the most spirit-filled, the most forgiving, the most humble, the most caring and loving church that's ever given this kind of festival. Have your way at Dalreda Baptist Church. In Jesus' name, amen.